Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today is our part two discussion of Fire Walk With Me. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thrilling conclusion (laughs) (laughs) seriously the scariest second half of anything ever (laughs) (laughs) well we were talking about it yesterday i was like oh wait that doesn't happen until the second half that doesn't happen until the second half oh my goodness (laughs) i better be careful (laughs) yeah the second half definitely like they really um it's kind of like i feel like we were in laura's headspace because everything seemed to pick up really fast and everything was kind of moving like you know a mile a second, which I'm sure yes. is how she felt. <laughs> well, with all that cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you were saying something very insightful right before we started that the first half of the movie is all in the mental realm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's and then the second half is all in the physical, which is yeah, very true. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like definitely the first half is a lot of exploring like her mental decline in the sense of like, you know, the blurring of the Black Lodge and Laura's reality. Right. And, you know, the second half, definitely, I mean, she's murdered, so (laughs) spoiler alert, but. (laughs) Well, and then the first half, not to mention that whole like opening overture to Mm -hmm. the movie or whatever you would call it. Exactly, the FBI one. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) that's definitely all very cerebral. But yeah. um, yeah, this is, has all the drug scenes that I was talking about previously mm-hmm. in the um, last episode. She loves a drug, <laughs> especially a nose one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, man, there's so much that happens. It's like, oh, I can't wait to talk about it. But <laughs> did you have, um, I mean, we already did first impressions, but did you have a second half first impressions? Yeah, I I enjoyed it. It was definitely a lot more tense and a lot more violent than the first half, which didn't necessarily, it didn't bother me at all. I kind of, uh, I really enjoyed seeing kind of what really happened right before that first episode of Twin Peaks and all right. the illusions that we've had throughout the entire series of like Laura's last moments and the place where she was killed and all that. Like, I thought it was like almost like a nice full circle moment to kind of see it happen, even though it was so terrible. Right. And then to, like, have this juxtaposition with the series where it's like, oh, my gosh, who killed Laura Palmer, blah, blah, blah. And for it to be so plainly obvious to her who was right. yeah. going to do it. And so Like, we start off the series with her whispering who killed her in Dale's ear. Right. And we don't even find out till like, halfway through the second season. But Right. Ugh, it's crazy. <sighs> yeah. I feel like we should go ahead and get into it, though, because I want to have time <laughs> at the end to, like, talk about everything, you know? Sure. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. Sorry. You're fine. Okay. So, um, what happened last was she had that dream and Mm -hmm. bobby was setting up a drug deal yes the big ten thousand (laughs) dollars yes (laughs) (laughs) so okay i just want to talk about everything in the future but we can't get ahead of ourselves so (laughs) we start off this part laura is kind of like dressed up oh yeah (laughs) okay we go right into it laura is dressed up (laughs) and drinking at home donna comes by Mm -hmm. and 
Laura says that she's going nowhere fast and Donna's not coming. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so funny. And I, I feel like this is definitely a part of David Lynch's humor that, you know, you know, Laura's a teenager and the fact that she's like going nowhere fast and she's like smoking a cigarette and sipping on a cocktail. It's like, okay, (laughs) child. Well, David Lynch has definitely 50s nostalgia. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and Donna's like, where are the cookies? And, you know, she's like Fred and Ginger, which, you know, it's just like. (laughs) they just talk in code to each other exactly (laughs) but we go straight into like present we go from this 50s nostalgia fakeness Mm -hmm. to like the real world but um oh yeah yeah i don't know if i said laura's like in sexy mode but she yeah she's got like this very shortcut dress with like these stockings on that are very like uh they're almost like lingerie stockings and Mm mm-hmm you know, she's she's in her like her sex siren mode, her temptress. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. She leaves Donna standing on the stoop and goes to the roadhouse. Mm-hmm. Which road was house. nice to see. <laughs> I know. We got a little Julie song. I know, but before she goes in, the log lady <gasps> stops her. Yeah. And says that when this kind of fire starts, it is very hard to put out. And all goodness is in jeopardy. And you can tell Mm. that Laura is very touched by her words. And it definitely reminds me of the diary because there's Mm -hmm. that one scene with her and the log lady that really Mm -hmm. touches her, you know? Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, especially in this scene, the log lady is sort of giving her a warning like, hey, and I feel like it's probably really nice to Laura to have someone who who knows what's going on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who sees her. And is trying to help her. And, you know, Laura is just so convinced that she's beyond help because she's a horrible person, blah, 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 blah. So, but it was really touching to have that kind of moment, uh, especially come from the log lady because she's such a beloved character on this podcast. Yes. And in the show, you know, she's pretty much a symbol of the show. (laughs) Like, exactly. Yeah. So, Laura. She starts crying. She you can tell it mm-hmm. like she's really touched, but she still she goes inside. Julie Cruz is like at her most <laughs> angelic singing. Yes. And all... I'm sorry. Oh no, it, it's always so funny to like go into like the roadhouse, which is like a dirty biker bar. It's like super grungy, <laughs> like rough crowd, and it's like the Julie Cruz like ethereal like. It's, and I've yeah. always wondered if like you know the roadhouse is it sort of this. Uh, like transitionary area of the red room and the real world because it feels so kind of ethereal and there are a lot of players in Uh, that bar who kind of do the bad and the good. I would say probably I would feel like David Lynch with the way he seems to feel about music Mm -hmm. that he would think of music as like some sort of way to open up a transition maybe it has Mm -hmm. like a transcendental meditation thing but like you know can i would think music would be symbolic of opening Mm -hmm. the doorway between the realms kind of yeah because it always feels like you know obviously the songs are they always feel very appropriate to what's going on and whatever (laughs) but just like the sound of them is so much in juxtaposition with the look of the bar and the vibe of the bar that it just felt like oh is there something more than just 
pretty music happening. I would also I'm say, sure. you know, the Roadhouse is kind of like a liminal space, but mm-hmm. also not just like in the metaphysical way, but like I think it's probably right near the border of Canada. So it's kind of uh, like in that like yeah. weird international. <laughs> it's know, like in that weird. Type. Yeah, it's a, it's kind of like even in its physical location, probably in a little bit of limbo. And yeah. Yeah, because I obviously like they go to Canada really quickly from there. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in the next scene. And Jacques always seems to be crossing the border right there. So. Oh, right. That guy. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so Laura's sitting inside crying when Donna comes in and sees her. Jacques is working the bar and he gestures two guys over to Laura. Mm-hmm. And obviously, this is like a monetary transaction, mm. like prostitution. I is there a better word for it? <laughs> we could just say sex work. Sex work, yeah, that's a yeah. Because she's not, you know, she kind of we come to find out doesn't work. At, this is after her one eyed Jack stint, mm-hmm. so it seems like it's more independent through Jacques trying to get drug money. Yes, yes, which is interesting that. Jacques is setting up the whole deal and then also, mm-hmm. you know, she's working for it. So Yeah. Yeah. Although Jacques does seem like a somewhat of a like I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to think of Jacques. He's kind of like also a liminal character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean he's always felt like, you know, even with the accent and just the way he operates, he doesn't feel like a part of Twin Peaks or necessarily a part of canada so he's definitely (laughs) one of those limbo-ish characters who is kind of like you know without knowing of maybe his connection through his deeds through to like either (laughs) the lodges or the red room he probably operates in a way as if to spread those kind of uh vibes if you know what i mean I just mean like he's he's obviously not a good yeah he's bad. Ca- like he's, he's got <laughs> he's his fingers complex. in all the bad stuff but like he's kind of almost like a, a benevolent figure towards Laura like mm-hmm. I don't know she, I anyway. think she has this kind of uh, way about her especially with like men who are older she has this way of like somehow like seducing them to be you know. A lover quote-unquote like in a physical way but also like in a like paternal way which right. could be connected to her father having bob yeah. and him but yeah a lot of the male figures tend to kind of almost take care of her in a way at some point it feels like yeah well i mean even like from the diary that diary i can't remember how much jacques there was in the diary but there was definitely leo taking kind of the role and she, mm-hmm. i remember thinking leo was almost you know, helpful to her in certain ways. So anyway, this episode, (laughs) (laughs) this episode, (laughs) or this part soured my Leo. Anything for me that was building up from the show, but no, well, I mean, the show didn't either. I feel like it was only in the diary that you like got a little bit of a a softening towards Leo, but um, it kind of feels like Jacques takes that role that Leo did in the diary. Oh, for sure. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so anyway, the money is not going to get them to Walla Walla, which is a place in Washington because <laughs> I never realized that. But it's a, uh, I know there's a type of onion called a Walla Walla onion. And Ooh. I was like, what is that? I know that word. Walla Walla. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, it's just like a 
city or something in Washington. <laughs> I like the name, though. Yeah. Uh, so Donna, much to Laura's dismay, inserts herself into this bargain that's happening. Mm-hmm. And she, Laura kind of dares Donna, who rises to the occasion. Mm-hmm. Very much reminds me of their scene, except for much older. And- <laughs> oh, Yeah. The, like, was it like a lake scene or something? Yeah. In the diary? Yeah. I did think about that. But they head on over to Canada. (laughs) They just (laughs) pop up there. We're like, oh, okay, I guess we're in Canada. Jacques, I think, says welcome. Or no, even says it. It's such a loud scene that everything is subtitled. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Which I really enjoyed that because I feel like, especially like the early 90s, like the, like, idea of, like, rave culture and stuff. It definitely was like, it brought a certain feeling of being in a place with the flashing lights and the loud music. Oh, and totally. I really, I really enjoyed it. I've been at lots of um, bar slash clubs in my day, and <laughs> you can't hear a dang thing when there's like music no. playing. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so that feels very uh, correct. Yeah, it's uh, Jacques is there, he's wasted. Mm. Which is weird considering he was just working at the Roadhouse. I don't know like how much time has passed. <laughs> But there's like lots of nakedness and fucked mm-hmm. up people. <laughs> yes. Donna looks very uncomfortable. They all pass around these beers in a circle and one of them gets drugged and Donna ends up with the drugged one. Mm-hmm. And then Donna and Laura both start dancing respectively with their partners. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> the best and way we to can put it. Yeah, we can see that Donna starts to feel woozy, and that's right around the time Ronette Pulowski shows up. I was like, oh, Ronette. I know. It was so exciting to have her be there and be like, oh, yeah, you are a part of this story. So Yeah. Well, and also that's like a should set off a little alarm bells like, oh, we're getting close. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's so not in the series, you know, you would think that she right. would have be now looking from retrospect like she was there. <laughs> she, yeah, she's a survivor. But she but... was in a coma for so much of the series. Well, yeah. And I wonder if like, well, we'll get to it when we get to that scene. When, right, you know, right, right. At the end. True. Thoughts. <laughs> okay, so run it. Run it and Laura are talking about Teresa Banks and how mm. she's been dead a year. That's crazy. Which is like, okay, how do you know Teresa? And mm-hmm. this is where we start to kind of see the real like story of why Teresa got killed in the first place. But she was apparently blackmailing someone. Hmm. Jacques says that she asked all sorts of questions to him, including about who their fathers were. Hmm. And Laura, having already, you know, had a big suspicion just the other day about her father, mm-hmm. gets starts to freak out a little bit. But they first they make a date for to go to this ca- the cabin in the woods, which right. we know about from the series. Uh, and uh, I just wrote my notes. Don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's not gonna be fun. <laughs> no. So her and Ronette are sitting at the booth. <laughs> being pleasured <laughs> and <laughs> Ronette notices Donna which kind of snaps Laura back to reality and she starts to freak out as she sees that Donna is sprawled naked on a table making out with this guy and Laura screams Donna not you <laughs> and 
We see the floor is completely disgusting. Oh, of course. <laughs> it's covered in grossness. <laughs> Which in season three, there is a prominent Jacques cleaning floor moment. So I don't know if it's somehow connected uh. to this moment or just, you know, in our minds. But anyway. Could be. I always have to point out all these things that you don't know about yet, just for the mm-hmm. rest of the audience who is like, oh, connections. <laughs> connections. <laughs> no, I appreciate them. <laughs> Okay, so it's the next day. Donna looks way the worse for wear. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah, well, she, too fair she was roofied. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like, she definitely looks like... She had yeah. a rough night. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't seem to really know what happened. She's like, why were you yelling at me about your your stuff or something? And basically, Laura's just like, I don't want you to be like me. And Donna is asking Laura why she does it just as Leland walks in to pick her up. And this is kind of the start of a flashback sequence that is interspersed between the next scene. And he remembers seeing Laura and Ronette in lingerie on a bed. Hmm. So Leland is taking Laura home. They're in a convertible and they're is an erratic driver behind them. <laughs> I was losing my mind watching it. <laughs> I was like, this person. I know. It's a crazy scene. This is another one that's like, we just had this pink room scene, as I like mm-hmm. to think of it, which is so like an immersive type of a scene because of like the way the sound is and everything. And now this one is also very much like it, the sound is taking over and you can barely hear the dialogue that's happening. Mm-hmm. This one is not subtitled though. Cause like, okay, they say they can smell burning, which is very reminiscent of Twin Peaks season two with the whole engine oil, mm-hmm. burnt engine oil thing. And the car kind of pulls around. These old people trying to cross the road, goes around <laughs> them, comes back around, stops next to Leland, and it's the one-armed man, Mike. Mm-hmm. And he has the ring on his finger, and he's screaming into the car. Laura is screaming. I can't remember who says he knows him. I don't know if Laura's asking, do you know him? Or if he's like, I know you, or something. Yeah, he's definitely like yelling at Leland and sort of also at Laura, it seems like, like he knows them and he's like saying stuff like, don't do this. Or I know, you know, you're blah, 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 whatever. And so Laura's like, he looks familiar. Do you know him? Like, have I seen him before? And Leland's very adamant. He's like, no. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, before we even get to that, like throughout all the screaming, we were having flashbacks. Teresa in bed with Leland so like he used to see her and he asked her to arrange for some other girls and then yeah so that's when we come back they like kind of pull over to a thing and she's asking him why this guy looks familiar Mm -hmm. and Leland keeps going a man comes out of the blue like that what's this world coming to (laughs) (laughs) Get caught, Bob. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know what's happening for Leland at this moment. Like, right, what's going on in his brain? You know, it's like he's disassociating. Mm-hmm. Well, we see a flashback again. Laura at Teresa's and he or he sees Laura at Teresa's and he kind of runs away, gives Teresa some money and leaves. And the little grandson 
mm-hmm. they put your son with the mask on comes out and he's jumping and we hear this piece of music that's on the soundtrack that's like the black dog runs at night the black dog runs at night <laughs> very creepy <laughs> very Back in the present, still, you know, on the side of the road, freaking out, Laura asks Leland if he came home during the day last week. Mm. And he said he did due to a headache. And you can tell that she's just like both terrified and full of rage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Because he's amazing. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he lies at first. He said he didn't. And then she's like sort of catching him I in the lie. Yeah. Yeah. And then he was like, where were you? And she was like, uh, <laughs> I was down walking down the street. <laughs> right. <laughs> Ugh, scary moment. Oh, and that night she remembers that Mike in the car earlier that day was wearing Teresa's ring, mm. which, you know. Yeah. And then we see Leland remembering killing Teresa. Yes, which was very violent, very sad. Yes. So anyway, that was a crazy like both of those scenes were crazy the, the, like <laughs> juxtaposition and the, that one it's just like i just fear for everyone's mental state <laughs> oh of course it's obviously <laughs> <laughs> including our own <laughs> it's all in danger so i think this is the next day or maybe later that day laura gets out her you know fake diary that she was writing to fool her parents or whoever she thought was reading it Mm-hmm. and it's got like a little bag that we later find as evidence in Twin Peaks but there's only a little bit of cocaine left in it she I guess this is the next day she talks to Bobby at school mm-hmm. telling him that she's out and he talk, tells her about a big score later tonight mm. and then we get our third crazy scene in a row <laughs> <laughs> which is one of my favorite scenes honestly it's such a crazy scene but she is just like giggling throughout the whole thing and there's just something about this scene that is so fun and horrible at the same time and i don't know Mm. it's also another one that you're like i can feel what it's like to be that crazy fucked up (laughs) oh yeah you're like at some point especially like in your late teens early 20s you're like I've been there. (laughs) Yeah, even if you've never been, like, actually there, like, you can just feel anytime you've been kind of out of control or, you know, had that feeling. So, anyway, they drive to the woods outside the mill. They're both so intoxicated and laughing. (sighs) The whole scene, of course, is very David Lynch lit by flashlights. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Laura goes, I found a pine. (laughs) in a weird way it was like kind of sweet just to see them yes (laughs) laughing and interacting with each other in a way where it's like no one's trying to manipulate anyone it was kind of almost organic minus the non-sobrietiness but yeah you can see how they connected in the first place you know yeah and it's like uh, what could have been if cocaine didn't exist (laughs) seriously (laughs) uh so this guy shows up with a giant bag mm-hmm. and a giant bag of cocaine. I mean, <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. Did you recognize him? <laughs> did I? Was he the Mountie? No. No, he did. He looked just like the Mountie, but he's Cliff, the first police officer we saw in the beginning, in the where well, Chet Desmond. Can you say that again? It's Cliff, the the officer from when Chet Desmond and Kiefer Sutherland's characters went to the police station. He got his nose grabbed. You don't remember? 
Oh, oh. Where they went to go look at Teresa oh Banks' gosh. body. How did I not know that all this I sw- time? I mean, <laughs> unless he's got a twin on set. I, I, it looked literally just like him. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Great eye, Christian. <laughs> I know. Well, at first I thought it was the Mountie. I was like, oh, the Mountie. But I was like, no, they just look really similar. Yeah, I because I think I always <laughs> thought, you know, from the series, I think somebody does die i can't remember mm-hmm. but i feel like someone does die and we never get an explanation in the series and maybe but i do know i remember <sighs> there's just so much i remember james telling donna laura said bobby killed a guy <laughs> oh right <laughs> but yeah i always thought for some reason that he was an undercover cop but i guess he was because he was but not undercover just a corrupt cop maybe i've known that yeah. at some point but anyway i didn't remember it so, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was like, oh, that's so funny. But yeah, of course, he would be a corrupt cop because he was kind of a piece of garbage. Totally. And the fact that he grabbed his nose, you know, mm-hmm. connection to the cocaine. Exactly. <laughs> the amazing. seeds were planted. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing that you watch it one time and catch this. And I've watched it a thousand times and never, <laughs> ever noticed. <laughs> that's probably the only thing I noticed. <laughs> that's awesome that mean, that just goes to show that's why you gotta watch it 500 times with everyone you know exactly <laughs> okay so okay, okay, okay hold on hold on he pulls out the shiny bag okay <laughs> um and then he goes to pull out a gun but bobby is quicker than him and shoots him several times we see Ugh. a disgusting head wound Ugh. and as they're like looking at the body bobby is like trying to cover it with dirt and yeah. Laura starts giggling again, and (laughs) she thinks it's Mike. Yeah, (laughs) which it's like, she's laughing because she thinks it's Mike, and it's like, oh, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is there Uh, something? Yeah. Okay, never mind. Anyway, maybe there's something (laughs) in the diary where she's like, I think we killed a cop last night. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Anyway, he, though, also starts to, like, question if she's correct did i kill mike and then mm-hmm. um anyway it's such a crazy scene they yeah. they kind of leave in a rush she grabs the giant bag of cocaine so at least she's medicated for the rest of the movie her life <laughs> right <laughs> both at least you feel bad for bobby though i'm like oh he killed someone i know and no we never he's... really approach that again i feel like no it's like, Maybe oh, no. season three, his character has kind of something. dealt with that or something. But mm-hmm. well, it's just like uh, you're a teenager who's already, you know, getting into drug trafficking and all that crazy stuff, and then you end up killing someone because they were going to kill you. So it's just like he didn't want to kill someone. So it explains a lot of why he's just such a, a mess during the series. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so the next scene. This is the next morning. <laughs> I believe this might be the last day. Maybe there's one more day. No, I think this is the last day. The next morning, James shows up at Laura's house on his motorcycle. (laughs) She comes out and she does not look happy to see him. He can tell that she's back on drugs. And Leland just kind of stands on the porch menacingly. Yeah, which is like... I'm sure to James, he was like, oh, some girl, this girl's dad, like, whatever. But <laughs> I know, but to you know, us, nobody's like, catching the clues <laughs> that you know. we should have all seen. <laughs> like, to us, I'm like, oh, that's Bob. <laughs> yeah. So that night, we just kind of 
Oh no, this must not be. This is not the last night. Yeah, this is not the last. Picturing night. a scene that we haven't gone to school for the last. Okay, so that. Oh yeah, that. Okay. Anyway, this is not the last. Night. So that night, Laura is doing some lines before bed. <laughs> As seem you do. Like the best way to sleep. <laughs> and maybe the worst scene. Well, I mean, save her murder, perhaps. But mm-hmm. Leland gives Sarah some milk before bed and mm. makes her drink it all. Yeah. And Sarah, I, presumably he's drugging her. She sees a white mm-hmm. horse, which makes me think of Laura's horse from the thing. But yeah. also, haven't we seen her see a white horse when Maddie got killed? I believe. I think so. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I think it implies that that's kind of what she's like symbolic of her getting drugged by Leland. Yes we okay so this is we see bob climbing in the window and like slithering atop her so gross and you know she takes his face in her hands and asks who he is and at a certain point she sees that it's leland and she lets out a scream Mm. for the ages (laughs) yep there's one thing she can do is scream real well in these scary movies (laughs) (laughs) she is a great screamer and I mean, her scream is the punctuation of the series. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, this was a very tough scene. Definitely a uh, TW trigger warning <laughs> for yeah. assault because it's very sad. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a horrible thing. It's a horrible yep. thing that we are portraying. I think David Lynch does it in a way that both portrays its horror, but also doesn't like kill you with it you know yeah he's not necessarily like exploiting the violence of it he's Mm -hmm. sort of just like soft i don't want to say softly because of the act but like he's letting you know what's happening and sort of going with it but not sort of you know making it like exploitative of who it's happening to exactly i mean it's more about the horror of laura finally Mm -hmm. seeing what's been in front of her the whole time you know, right, right. Finally yeah. being able to pierce the veil, if you will. Right, yeah. The focus of it is not the violent act, but of the realization she's having. Exactly. Okay, so the next morning, she's clearly not okay at breakfast. No. I think this is the last day. She mm-hmm. starts crying and leaves the table. Leland kind of follows her, and she, like, whispers intently for him to stay away from her. And we kind of see his face turn. I think we see it turn to Bob after that like mm-hmm. you know the way <laughs> um what's his name <laughs> no i just want to call him leland but i oh the actor i yeah i know it i don't know why it's not coming to me right now i can find out for you if you'd like and we're both gonna be upset <laughs> i know because i know it's <laughs> <laughs> ray wise ray wise just like his acting as well is just so great like you can really see the transition Mm -hmm. (laughs) i know i mean i know the whole thing is about laura and but it's we get so much of it in the series of ray wise but like he's just so good at also portraying this insane situation that's going on with him okay so we see laura basically stumbling through her day crying the whole time the clock is just kind of like mm-hmm. moving in weird circles she's sitting at her desk for the last time the desk we see empty oh, terrible we she sees bobby he's being his tor- normal jealous self but she has much mm-hmm. more dire things on her mind right 
Oh, I think she goes to see Bobby and he, you know, I it's just he, like a little yeah. scene where. At, was this, is this before she meets with James? Yes. Okay. Then yeah, he's, yeah, he's being, he's, I think this is when he's asking her like, where were you last night? Blah, blah, blah. Or who were you with? Oh, and yeah, yeah, yeah. clearly like <laughs> it was not an enjoyable thing for her. So she's like, leave me alone. Like, fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really puts into perspective when he is at the cemetery and is like, we all knew there were things wrong with her. We did nothing. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, she was she... <laughs> right in front of you. And you were just too busy being jealous. Okay. Exactly. But, you know, he is a child. So <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Like, and uh, she, you know. she she fucked up Bobby, too. So exactly. <laughs> so she's back at home. Now she is drinking and smoking and doing coke. And Jesus. she's very fucked up already. James calls. She can't even hold the phone correctly. But she agrees <laughs> to meet him. <laughs> God. Well, she immediately is like, why did I say that? <laughs> <laughs> And she looks at her painting on the wall with the angel, Mm -hmm. and the angel disappears, which is what she said at the very beginning, you know, the angels can't help you because they've all gone away. She climbs out her window. She hops on James's bike. Leland was watching her go through the blinds. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, her and James stop on the side of the road, and they have, a, like, sh- it's a kind of a crazy scene. <laughs> she tells him there's no place left to go. She mocks him and then slaps him. <laughs> this is where I wrote in my notes. I was like, does James have, like, a pity or humiliation kink with women? Because <laughs> every woman he's ever with in this series is, like, either sort of humiliating him in some way or like feeling just pitiful of him and he wants them <laughs> so bad for donna who is actually like in love with him and he treats her horribly <laughs> exactly <laughs> he's like you're not giving me what i want <laughs> yeah exactly yeah probably okay probably because of his crazy mother that we never <laughs> exactly. know anything about except for that she's horrible <laughs> it's always the mommy issues or the daddy issues <laughs> <laughs> well he's like i love you you know he's like Mm-hmm. I know he's very Mr. Collins in that moment. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I'm not it's gonna like, believe what you're telling me. <laughs> it's like James, look at her. But she does say, you know, that she does kind of like say, "Oh, I do love you," and but she has this realization that loving him could put him in danger. Like maybe right. now he'll try to kill her because I feel like she already made the connection with Teresa, so she probably understands that not only is he. A, a rapist he's a murderer as well right yeah dangerous um very plus bob you know she knows right. he's terrible and exactly. scary and not even real so can you know who knows right that she also this is where she tells james that bobby killed someone mm, right and she tells him that he doesn't even know her even donna doesn't know her which is true <laughs> Laura theme plays uh, and she says your Donna disappeared it's just me now and then she flicks him off and says what about this James <laughs> <laughs> what about this James <laughs> that's she what I'm saying <laughs> that's what I'm saying he's got something <laughs> uh, he takes her home home or he goes to take her home and but at a red light she stumbles off the bike and screams out don't 
that she loves him and then she runs into the woods (laughs) (laughs) to go meet up at the cabin. No. (sighs) I don't know. Was this like a premeditated thing? Like, oh, I'm going to go. I mean, she knew about this cabin thing, but I almost feel like it was like a coincidence in a way. How can she keep track of all this stuff? She's so fucked up. I was like, maybe she agreed to meet with James so that she could get a ride out to the cabin. Uh, Well, kind of. Maybe. So it's like, I mean, that, and that, you know, that would not be so far out the realm of someone who's heavy on drugs to be like, let me use people that care about me. (laughs) Totally. I'm just surprised that she even remembered it was a thing. I know. (laughs) I know. And then she just wanders through the woods, but, you know, she spent a lot of time in the woods. She probably knows them pretty well right maybe she just sat, followed the sound of music in the air mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so she meets up with jacques leo and ronette they all go to the cabin waldo is there i know i was like oh, the bird <laughs> the sexy drug music is playing laura despite her protestations gets tied up Ugh. She, I don't know if she sees or if she just senses Bob slash Leland is waiting outside or that he's there, but Mm -hmm. he is and he's waiting outside. And when Jacques goes outside, he bashes him over the head, making him unconscious. Mm -hmm. Leo stumbles out, refusing to untie Laura as he leaves. Mm -hmm. He sees Jacques and just goes and gets his keys and leaves. (laughs) Exactly. Like the garbage he is. He is garbage. That's kind of why, you know, when he's left the way he's left, mm-hmm. you almost do start to feel a little bit bad for him. But then you watch this, and you're like, no, I don't feel bad for him. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, in a way you could argue that he contributed to Laura's death, yeah. like actively <laughs> by not untying her. Oh, so. 100%. I mean, seriously. Yeah. I guess he could have ended up dead, but whatever. That would have been no Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Leland comes in. And mm. they scream at each other. This is also very, like, flashy. And, you know, it's not very linear. There's a lot of sound in the mm-hmm. way David Lynch likes to do it. A lot of backward sound. We see the Mike, the one-armed man, running through the... You always have to say it's the one-armed man because there's, so, there's several mics. couple mics. <laughs> <laughs> Mike and Bob. So, but Mike is running through the night looking for Bob. The girls are screaming. They're tied. They're they go in, they're in a train car. Leland and Bob they're kind of interchanged. We're like cutting back and forth between the two mm-hmm. people. They're kind of circling them or uh, circling Laura. Ronette is tied on the side and she's trying to pray. Mm-hmm. Laura sees herself as Bob and. Leland has the diary pages. I mean, they both have makeup running all over their face. There's so much sound mm-hmm. until it all kind of stops for a second. And we all, Laura and Ronette, both see and us see an angel standing or flying, floating, floating. over Ronette. And suddenly Ronette's hands are freed. She opens the door, kind of falls out. Mike is waiting there. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, she doesn't fall out. She opens the door. Mike is there. Leland punches her and mm-hmm. throws her off the train. And that's when Laura puts on the ring, mm. which Leland screams to not make him do this. And 
that's when the scary choral music starts mm-hmm. and Leland stabs his daughter uh. and he takes her necklace. Mike outside leaves, walking over Ronette in a heap on the grounds. Mm-hmm. They, I say they, it's Bob and Leland both. So it's kind of like a they. Mm-hmm. Wrap Laura up in pra- plastic and put her in the lake, just like the very beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. And... Then we see Leland go out to the woods to the Sycamore Grove from the end of season two and walk through the portal into the woods where we saw Cooper go. (laughs) Then so like all the worst part is kind of over at this point. Mm -hmm. We see in the red room, Leland just kind of like floating. (laughs) I was like, is he doing the Michael Jackson? uh... (laughs) (laughs) He's kind of like at an angle floating in the air next to Bob. Then the arm is there. He attaches to Mike where he doesn't have an arm. And Mm -hmm. they say they want their Garmambosia. And there's like a little parentheses, pain and sorrow, Mm -hmm. which is AKA cream corn. (laughs) (laughs) Very disgusting to look at (laughs) his favorite horror thing i think is like close-ups of mouths like it's just something he goes back to all the time (laughs) okay so bob pulls something out of leland it looks like blood he throws on the ground Mm -hmm. and then we see it getting slurped up by like an ape-like creature in the shadows Mm -hmm. like slurping up this garmambosia then we see that Laura is found in the lake. We get that ghost camera again through the red room. Mm-hmm. And we see Laura in there with Cooper. And an angel enters. And you can tell that Cooper is happy for Laura. And Laura kind of like cries and laughs with happiness as she looks at this angel. And the credits roll over the face of her smiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it kind of has the david lynch version you know he always likes to have <laughs> right. his way of having a happy ending <laughs> to a <Yes>. terrible story <laughs> it's very manic the smile and <laughs> yeah yeah but the angels came back <laughs> yeah well you know some might say a little too late but <laughs> but it's like yeah. it's one of those things where you know the angel saved ronette so is it one of these things where it's like no, this is fate, and this is how it's supposed to play out, and she's supposed well, to be a victim of Bob. It's and... interesting because of the angel's symbol symbolism, mm-hmm. because I feel like the whole idea of someone like kind of having to suffer in life as some sort mm-hmm. of like destiny or something is a very biblical type of a concept (laughs) (laughs) yes (laughs) so i feel like it's appropriate to have the angel be like the thing that's like okay well your suffering is over and now you can get your reward or whatever yes and you know especially i was raised catholic so that is like (laughs) especially like the you know just the idea of like angels i feel like is very symbolic towards catholicism and I totally. ne- I didn't even totally I did not make that connection, but it's very interesting. Like when you factor in religion, like I feel like you know that opens up a whole new like, what does the red room symbolize, and what is yeah. the black lodge? Obviously, you know, <laughs> black lodge and white lodge. Like you could totally be like heaven and hell, but you know yeah. I feel like it's a lot more complex than that. But 
Oh, for sure. Because I don't know. I mean, I assume that David Lynch, if he was raised with religion, was raised with Christianity just because yeah, that's you know, the... he's a white man in middle America. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but I know that he later got into transcendental meditation, which I don't know if that mm-hmm. is. I don't know if that's religious in any way. Like, is it related to Buddhism or something? But I'm sure that he did mm-hmm. plenty of reading into Buddhism and other things. And we know yeah. Mark Frost set up this world with like he had his own crazy (laughs) stuff right but (laughs) i do think that like you know the way they set it up with like they started the series about a girl who was dead and you know Mm -hmm. nowadays we like to think of that as like or we don't like to but people sometimes talk about that as like fridging or like a trope Mm -hmm. you know um but you know it's also you're solving a murder i don't know anyway (laughs) But now in this movie, we're kind of like, we get to kind of reverse that in a way and like really explore Mm -hmm. her as a person. And even though it's really tragic and kind of relates to the series because we know she dies and like, how Mm -hmm. does that get to that point? But like, I don't know. I don't have a good conclusion to this (laughs) thought I started. No, I, I totally thought about that as well because I feel like a lot of, you know, true crime or like crime centered sort of like shows and movies, they're sort of trying to rectify that thing, that idea of it just being the trope of a, like a dead, mostly dead woman, dead girl. Um, uh-huh. Let's be honest, but that, you know, that they're, they're not just tropes that they have, you know, women have lives, girls have lives and they're very right. complex people. And Laura was the same. And she's not just some dead girl they found in the lake. She, had this whole life that was tied to all this other stuff that was going on in Twin Peaks. Yeah. And, you know, it's like so easy to think of her as like, she's a victim. She's the Mm -hmm. victim of the story. But Laura has such agency, even though she doesn't Mm -hmm. have a lot of choice in some of a lot of the things that happened and like have made her who she is. But almost like the way of being able like, personifying it as bob and like Mm -hmm. she's she gets to make the choice as to whether she becomes a part of that you know like yeah will she give in to i I hate the word give in i don't know i'm trying to make it you know without all the the uh (laughs) trigger words for people but (laughs) (laughs) no i now especially that you've made this like connection back to religion um and i've kind of brought in catholicism i'm like in my head, if my head is like my mind is like racing now with like all the symbolism <laughs> that associates with that, and I kind of almost in a way like with you saying she has agency and sort of like a choice in a way of what's going to happen. She is kind of like the Jesus Christ figure of Twin Peaks, where totally, yeah, where she's like the chosen one. This you know you could say like you know obviously Jesus was the son of God and. You know, she's the daughter of the kind of all-powerful figure in this show. And she made sort of the choice in a way to kind of die. And then, but like the fact that she died gave her the ability to kind of fight against that power Mm -hmm. in a way to quote unquote, forgive the sins, if you want to say. Um, She kind of, in a way, is Bob's undoing. Yeah. Well, and then also like, 
what does the ring like she she puts that on at the end mm-hmm. and i mean it does come back and we'll see we can definitely expand on this when we get to season three but mm-hmm. i don't know like it almost feels like the ring is almost like a portal <laughs> mm-hmm. and it takes you away <laughs> to this in-between stage yes and i don't know why cooper told her not to take the ring like maybe he just knew that that would be when she died or mm-hmm. you know you know because he doesn't he has premonitions but he doesn't like no no what's gonna happen right well i think a lot of uh, the ring is sort of like you said this bridge between the red room and real life and so taking it she knew she was gonna die but i feel like in a way she like bob probably thinks of the ring as like adding to his collection of victims and all this stuff when in actuality like laura taking the ring was like yeah let me into your space i'm gonna start messing with it and sort of playing against you right which you know you could totally bob is like this like kind of like unsatiable crazy like demon figure who was trying who's kind of like you know can't be satisfied with just you know taking a victim here and there it's kind of like he has to keep going and doesn't necessarily take the caution that he probably should with someone like laura who has shown that she is kind of able to work against him even in real life that realm yeah i mean i feel like she's just as strong as bob for sure definitely if not stronger (laughs) i mean you know what we know from Twin Peaks is that she is able to communicate who Bob is possessing, who Bob is, to mm. Dale, technically from a very early point. But, you know, he's it's Dale who's not able to right. access yeah, she it. Tells I don't know him why I'm calling him Dale, though. Yeah. That's his name. Right. I mean, it's his name. We always call him Cooper. But, yeah, I mean, it's Cooper who's not able to access that part yet because he has not sort of connected with that part of him that quote-unquote spiritual part if you want to say it like that Mm -hmm. but i mean laura is you know working behind the scenes trying to save people and working against bob and she's very good at it so yeah and then you could also look at it through the like fire metaphor Mm -hmm. of like fire can either consume or like forge and Mm -hmm. i feel like laura very much is like forged into something stronger through fire as opposed to just being burned away to nothing even though it kind of feels like she is from the series or like the fact that she's she dies but Mm -hmm. she's she's like she's really like the strongest person in the series even though Mm -hmm. but you i feel like just being able to watch this really makes her more of a part of the series like makes yeah even though she wasn't in the series that much like her presence is so much stronger after having seen this like definitely throughout yeah definitely and it's like i mean i guess you could argue that <laughs> maybe people since it's a prequel they should watch it before twin peaks i always wonder what it's like if you watch this before twin peaks do you get that same feeling of laura being sort of all throughout twin peaks or because it's like i know you kind of have to watch it afterwards because it kind of hits you differently, but I wonder what it would feel like to watch it first. I feel like I have watched it with people. Mm-hmm. Maybe not to my specifications of how they should watch it, but like <laughs> I think I've watched it with people who watched the prequel first, and mm-hmm. 
I think it does make them really much more of invested into the like Laura part. Mm-hmm. I think it might make season two less fun or less yeah enjoyable because you're like, well, now that <laughs> the whole Laura part is wrapped up, I don't know. I don't really care anymore. But yeah. also, I think this movie, while it is amazing and great, if you don't have the context of Twin Peaks, it's mm-hmm. just so like intense that you might be yeah. like, I don't have any desire to watch the series after this. And right. the series is so fun and quirky in its own right. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, it's a cable television show. <laughs> right, right. It is a lot more fun in certain... Well, it's a lot more fun in a lot of ways. Definitely. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it's got less of a barrier to entry. So like... Yes. If you you could like be a big fan of the series and not love the movie. Mm-hmm. I think there are I a lot totally of people who did watch the series and then were like, what the fuck is this movie? Right. It's nothing like what I want, but like, I don't know. For me, it just, it's, I remember I was listening to the Diane podcast and they were saying that every Twin Peaks thing is like part of a whole, but also its own thing. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't necessarily relate especially in tone to the other things. Oh, yeah. So, I don't know. Well, <laughs> I just yeah. I got a lot to say, but I don't know what exactly conclusions I'm coming to. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I like, I feel like because of my upbringing, I'm really into this idea of religion being sort of implemented into the series and the movie. And to me, what it feels like is the movie, the prequel is very Old Testament. It's very violent. It's very intense. It's very much like, you know, a lot of stuff is happening. It's very bad, bad, bad. But then you have after, you know, the death of Laura, it's kind of this New Testament where Cooper comes in and he has this more, everything seems less intense. Everything seems lighter. And maybe Mm -hmm. Bob's present isn't as strong as it was in the before. So, right. Yeah, the specter is still definitely a part of the series. Oh, definitely, definitely. But it's like it, it it almost feels like Bob's influence is lessened by killing Laura, especially mm-hmm. when you get to Leland's death in the series. Like I mean, he loses his vessel. Um yeah. which who knows if I can't remember exactly how that <laughs> that exactly happens if it's Leland who fights him off or if it's just an amalgamation of everything but um it's just yeah, yeah. kind of bashes his head against a door yeah and so it's like <laughs> you know this the death of laura really you know using fire lights a fire in it's everyone. true because even though bob does kind of come back a little bit towards the end like mm-hmm. wyndham is more like searching out bob and yes cooper kind of seems to be possessed by bob at the end but also like it's cooper so it's not gonna be the same as right. Laura, you know, or Leland. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Laura definitely was more connected to this other side, this other place that Bob probably comes from. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could argue that Laura spent more time, like, uh, sort of embracing that side. Uh-huh. And Cooper probably hasn't. So he probably doesn't have that connection yet. Who knows? You know, season three, what happens? But. <laughs> You know, I I think it's one of these things where it's like this unsatiable presence can only go so long before the things it consumes works against them. 
And so mm-hmm. it's only a matter of time. You know, if we did have a season three, it would only be a matter of time, especially with the help from Laura, before Cooper could completely, you know, overcome Bob and be like, out of me, you. Yeah, I think if series three had happened more during the like 90s or Mm -hmm. even early 2000s or something we would definitely have a different story than we end up having yeah i don't even know i mean there's it's like a whole different thing that's like (laughs) yeah 25 years later we don't need to really think about that quite yet (laughs) but right um, right right. but But yeah in reference to this this material even though yeah i would say even in season three bob's presence is not as Bobby, mm-hmm. not Bobby, Bobby, <laughs> not as Bobbish. <laughs> it's not so much Bob, you know. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> but okay, well, final thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> we still have to watch the missing pieces, so we'll definitely exactly. have more opportunity to talk about it once we, you know, can sit with it for a little while. Definitely. My final thoughts, I would say I really enjoyed it. I think it is, especially if you're a lover of Twin Peaks, the series, this is like, to me, essential viewing. Um, Like you need to watch it to kind of really, you know, get that full circle moment of where we start. I feel like it's very important, um, especially for understanding Laura and those final moments and kind of understanding and giving a whole new light to not only her life, but like how she, what game she's playing in the the show. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I, I think, you know, it's also important to read the diary. Yeah. Along with this movie, <laughs> maybe, or right before, who knows. But I think all these pieces are important, but also they're very individual. I like the idea that they all have their own tone, their own sort of way above explaining things. But I really enjoyed it. I think it's really well done and you know, it makes me sad that we didn't get more Twin Peaks back then. I know. Uh, well, I will say, obviously, yes, everything you said, exactly correct. I would like to focus a little bit on, for my final thoughts, on how I feel like this movie is such a great example of David Lynch and, mm-hmm. you know, his, if you look at it just with his other movies, mm. it's a really good way to like, you you start to see like David Lynch loves really complex, really hurt people and you know, mm-hmm. but not just showing the like hurtness of them. You know, he doesn't like to dwell like say a requiem for a dream or something. Right. Like I don't feel like he's out here trying to make people have a breakdown <laughs> which is <laughs> right. all very triggering material, <laughs> but I feel like even people who have lived the life closer Mm -hmm. to like Alora, a lot a lot of people really connect with her story and the movie Mm -hmm. and i just feel like david lynch is really good at writing the line of not overwhelming you with Uh the stuff which you know as i've said from the beginning i i really love like the isms (laughs) like absurdism (laughs) surrealism Mm -hmm. yes and I just feel like David Lynch and I feel like a lot of what they were trying to do was have people be able to experience these kinds of things without that, mm-hmm. without the emotion taking them over, which I have a tendency when I watch something like a Schindler's List or a Requiem for a Dream, mm-hmm. I'm like, I never want to watch this movie again because it <laughs> put me in such an emotional <laughs> state. 
But I feel like David Lynch can kind of convey that and make me feel like I'm there with you, but without making me so mm-hmm. upset that I never want to revisit it, you know? So Yeah, I like that. I just think he's a master. <laughs> and I'm glad yeah. that he's one half of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I feel like, you know, just like religion provides a comfort for people, I feel like he definitely takes those, that value of religion, the comfort of it, and sort of tries to implement it into his stories. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Laura's triumph in the end sort of kind of thing. And he really yeah. tries to not leave broken people as broken people. And I really yeah. enjoyed that aspect of his work. Yeah, he's got that element of grace that like yes. religious stuff has yeah <sighs> yeah i love them <laughs> and i'm very excited to do the missing pieces although mm-hmm. i think oh. next week is our birthday <gasps> and Yay. i think instead of doing the missing pieces next week we'll skip next week and do it the week after but next week okay. i think we should do just like a short little baby birthday celebration and sure. mostly take the week off because it's our birthday. We should have the exactly. week off. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We got to celebrate. <laughs> so next week we'll just, we'll do a toast. We might, maybe we'll do like a quiz or maybe we'll, I was thinking maybe I could like do the um, chart <laughs> for the podcast, uh-huh. you know, let everyone yeah. know what all, all the podcast placements are. Just something like easy and quick and yeah, we'll be back. Fun. In two weeks with The Missing Pieces, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if you don't have the DVD. I don't know how easy it is to watch it, but Mm. it's kind of all the stuff that was filmed for this movie that got cut out. Mm -hmm. And then David Lynch edited it into its own movie, kind of. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I'm so excited. But it's mostly deals with the other characters of Twin Peaks, just because they were not really that relevant to Laura's story. And I think in Mm -hmm. the end, that's what the movie needed to be. So I'm excited for it. Both of those. And then we'll just do like a Halloween episode to round out the month. Then we'll be back to Pride and Prejudice. I almost said Persuasion. (laughs) (laughs) The other P book. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. I'm so excited. What a fun month we have planned. (laughs) I know. So I'm so glad we finally have gotten to this point for Fire Walk With Me. It feels like a momentous occasion and perfect for right before our birthday. (laughs) I know. And, you know, I'm uh, excited at some point to hear maybe some John Bernardi insights onto yes what we've said and maybe things we didn't say and cover so yes yeah. if you're out there going man i was really hoping that i would get to talk to them for about this <laughs> we're doing all of our talking about firewalk with me and pride and prejudice in december <laughs> after the episodes come yes. out because honestly we just we don't have time <laughs> nope <laughs> <So>. <laughs> i mean it's good to sit with something like this let it marinate you never know what'll come up yeah. Plus, I like people to have heard the episodes before. Yeah, I definitely. make them talk about what we said. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But you know, when you hear this episode, if you have some insights, you know, write us in. Let us know what you think, Please, what we didn't cover, your viewpoints. We're going to definitely be talking, revisiting this in the, like a definitely. month to t- talk about everything you guys have to say. Let us know what you really love about this movie. Anything you think we might have missed any connections you think we mm-hmm. should think about and talk about we'd love to hear anything you guys have so please write us in yeah definitely and even if you don't really love this movie i'm interested yeah, to hear why. 
yeah, let us know because, you know, there might be something <laughs> that we're missing. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> well, right. we've run a fun marathon. One. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like, good thing we have a <laughs> next week's an easy one because <laughs> yeah. I feel like we like are so exhausted from all this intense I know. talk intense. and everything <laughs> <laughs> but yeah thank you everyone so much for listening and we will see you guys next week good night <laughs> bye if you'd like to get in contact with us you can dm us on instagram at manners and madness pod or you can dm us on twitter at manners madness or you could email us at gmail using manners madness at gmail.com and if you would like to leave a voice message on our website, you can at managedamandas.com. And it's about a minute long. Yes. And we would absolutely love it if you would give us a rating and review on Apple or Spotify or the podcast app of your choice. It really means a lot to us and helps get more people to listen to the podcast. Also, we have a donate button, which is on our website, managedamandas.com as well. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Any help is very much appreciated. Very much. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Good night. Bye. Bye.